Alright folks, welcome to Pickaxe and Roll, part of the Mile High Sports Podcast Network. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. We're brought to you by Superbook Sports, and before I do anything, I want to give a big congratulations to the Colorado Avalanche. I watched Game 6 today. I've been watching the, the Stanley Cup, of course, and it has been a fantastic watch. The Avalanche are a spectacular team, and they clearly deserve this, and it's really cool to watch a Colorado team bring home another title. Uh, congratulations to the Cronkies, Stan and Josh, who were both out on the ice today, I saw, and they're having themselves one heck of a year. The Rams, the Colorado Mammoth, the indoor lacrosse team that's uh, that plays here in Colorado, and now the Avalanche, who share the same building as the Nuggets. Very interesting, I think, to just sort of see how this thing is going to evolve and whether this continues to have any effect on Denver's free agency plans. And I am curious to see what that ultimately looks like and if it looks like anything at all. Uh, but as I was told by Calvin Booth on Thursday night, the owners are hungry. They they want more titles. They got that taste when they had the LA Rams title. And now that they've had the Mammoth and the Avs, it's only safe to say that the Nuggets title is well on their way as long as Denver takes care of business here. So we're going to talk about what that business is. We're going to talk about the roster. We're going to talk about some expected roster moves, what some of the free agency and trade targets are going to look like because they've changed since Denver has undergone the draft. And then I'm going to talk about kind of in the final segment, if the plan is good enough, because the Nuggets have committed to this plan and they didn't use those uh, picks as resources in trades and as a result, they're going to kind of be handicapped for what they can actually offer other teams in trades. And so I'm going to talk about that a little bit. But first, let's talk about just kind of refreshing everybody who is on the roster right now. Denver is 12 players. They have four guards, two wings, five forwards, and one big. The guards, Jamal Murray, Monte Morris, Bones Highland, and now Colin Gillespie. Or it might be Gillespie or Gillespie. I'm, I'm, I, I thought I had it earlier, but uh, he's a two-way contract now. Played for Villanova. I talked about him on the last podcast with Gordon. And he's a very strong two-way player. Like I, I think that this is a good move for Denver. Gillespie, I'm going to call him Gillespie. Uh, he seems to me like a nice, steady, offensive-minded point guard that competes on the defensive end. He might not be the best athletically, but you never know. Sometimes you take chances on guys and they might surprise you. So he's at least a good bet to make. On the wings, you have Will Barton and Christian Brown. Christian Brown obviously drafted 21st overall. Will Barton, I think safe to say that he was uh, shopped and, and will probably continue to be shopped on the open trade market during this free agency period. So the wing position if it doesn't include Barton, now just includes Christian Brown. So Denver's going to have to figure that out and address that for sure. The forwards, Michael Porter, Aaron Gordon, Zeke Naji, Jeff Green, and now Peyton Watson. I guess you could categorize Peyton Watson as a wing. He's six foot eight, 200 plus pounds. He strikes me as a player who is, when he's in the league, he's going to be at his best as the three 
but I don't ever think he's going to play the two. I think he could slide to the four in some lineups, which to me, I'm going to default to classifying him as a forward. But if you argue that he's just a true small forward and not necessarily a true wing or a true forward, that's fine with me too. Uh, But you've got five options there. And I think all of them are are relatively good in terms of what Denver's kind of future prospects, current and future prospects, are going to be looking like. Michael Porter, you're committed to. Aaron Gordon, you're committed to. Zeke Naji, you want to commit to. And Peyton Watson, you just drafted at the end of the first round. So Denver's got to know that they are going to be in it for the long haul with Peyton Watson. So they're going to have to – That's this is probably what the forward rotation is going to look like for the next few years. And then with the bigs, it's just one, the big joker in the middle, Nikola Jokic. Denver's going to have to figure out how to bolster things behind him. But the real question here is how many players at each position group should there be for Denver? I think that this kind of shapes the discussion around what Denver's needs actually are. Because you might need only two bigs. You might need three. You might want four. Uh, But I think Denver's probably going to settle on three. I think with the guards, you want five. I think with the wings, you want four. I think with the forwards, you want five. The guards is understandable. Like Given what Denver has right now, Jamal Murray coming off of a torn ACL, Colin Gillespie, a two-way player. Even if Denver were to exchange Monte Morris for a wing, I think that they should at that point add another couple of guards, guys that they feel are more comfortable playing in defensive configurations, playing in some uh, veteran lineups uh, that you can really trust in the playoffs. With the wings, Denver has not had this, like I'm projecting and hoping that they get to four wings in this offseason. I don't think that they've had four wings before on their roster, but you can expect guys like Davon Reed and Austin Rivers Rivers, I think you could also classify as a guard, but we'll just cross that bridge when we come to it. Uh, But Christian Brown, definitely a wing. Will Barton, definitely a wing right now. If Denver does move him, it should be in replacing, replacing him with a wing position. At the forwards, I think you're fine with these five guys, though it is possible that Jeff Green isn't back. Uh, And we'll talk about that in just a bit here. And then at the big position, I think it's probably... I think it's probably three is the right call because Jokic is going to be your main guy. I think you need a primary backup and it would be nice to have a third guy, a third big, uh, just in case one of those two gets injured. That seems pretty standard to me, Uh, but that's kind of where I think things are going to be going for Denver in this offseason. Now, who on the current roster of the 12 players should we expect to be on the roster at the end of free agency? I think locked in right now, guys you can't really think about, Nikola Jokic, Jamal Murray, Christian Brown, Peyton Watson, and Colin Gillespie. So it's just Jokic, Murray, and the three rookies. Now, it's not to say that I think Michael Porter or Aaron Gordon or Bones Highland or Zeke Naji are going to be traded. I think I would classify those guys as safe and like far more likely to not be traded than they would be to be traded. But I think like if you're really boiling down what Denver is, what their foundation is to their core, I think it's got to be Jokic and Murray and then everybody else. Everybody else is replaceable. 
you would like for Porter to jump into that category, but he's injured. And he's he's had some of these major injuries that we don't know if that's going to change. So I think if, let's say, Kevin Durant would be thrown onto the trade market at some point, then you would offer any of the guys in the safe category, including Porter, Gordon, Highland, and Zeke. But you got to think about it from a logical perspective. That's probably not going to happen. So they're in the safe category. 50-50, Monte Morris, I think he's in that category for sure. He has been discussed in some rumors ad nauseum. And I do think that given where Will Barton's trade value is right now, it is possible that Denver needs to move Monte Morris in order to get the starting shooting guard that they're hoping for. And that's too bad because ideally for Denver, it would be Will Barton and his expiring contract plus a first round pick. And that is a very standard package to at least get the conversation started with people. That's not really available to Denver anymore because they only have a 2029 first round pick. That is seven years from now. And it's just not something that I expect to really entice teams. But we'll see. We'll see what happens there. Leaning no in terms of whether they are going to be on the roster. Jeff Green is the the only player in that category. And then likely to be moved is Will Barton. The reason why I would lean no on Jeff Green is because he and Zeke kind of play the same position, right? Like they're both about 6'8, 6'9. They're both complementary forwards as opposed to the, the ball handling guys, or maybe you're more defensive. Like, not defensive, because Zeke is defensive, but these aren't your ball handlers. These are guys that kind of space the floor or do complementary things while being a little bit switchable three through five. That is not like, it's not a a position that you needed abundance of. So it wouldn't surprise me if Jeff Green was flipped to another team that needs that position. And then Denver gets back like a backup big or something like that. Maybe even a defensive guard. I don't know. I don't know what it looks like. Maybe Jeff Green's value isn't that high, but he seems like a player that could help in the rotation for a competitive team. So that generally like a 6'8 dude that can do that, those are usually relatively valuable pieces, even if Jeff Green is 35. And then likely to be moved, Will Barton. It's been discussed ad nauseum. At this point, I would be shocked if he were back on Denver's roster. I'm not going to guarantee it because anything can happen and it's very possible that if Denver does trade Monte and they get that starting shooting guard, then they might just decide, yeah, Will, you're going to be the sixth man for this next year. And whether that's good or not, it is a possibility. So we're going to stick with that for now. That's kind of the framing that I would give to it. Like I said, there's 12 players. Denver needs four primary roster spots and one two-way contract filled. And we're going to talk about some of the candidates for who could do that in the next segment when we come back. We're going to have a grand old time with that. But first, summer is here, and there's no better time to make your first bet with Superbook Sports. Along with its usual vast betting menu, Superbook already has a lineup for every pro football game this fall. Plus, when you make your first deposit on the Superbook app or sign up at Superbook.com, they will match 100% of your money up to $500. It's never too early to start thinking about football at Superbook Sports. Place your bet and start winning today. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. 
gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. We'll be right back on Pickaxe and Roll. Back, pickaxe and roll, Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Appreciate all the love and support as always. If you can, it'd be awesome if you could rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Five stars, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcasts. These ratings do really help me. Uh, when a, a podcast is rated very widely, it generally shows up for people more frequently when they search Nuggets or NBA or Nikola Jokic or whatever. So it would be fantastic if you did. It helps me out dearly. All right, let's talk about the most likely and most realistic targets in free agency and trades this offseason. This is kind of a preview for an article that I'm putting up on milehighsports.com on Monday. Uh, There's a lot of names that I am going to share with the people, and some of them are viable, some of them are not, but I do think that this is the order of operations that the Nuggets should be operating under. When they're discussing scenarios this offseason, there are certain players that they should prioritize, and even if it's pie in the sky, that's what they should be shooting for. They should try to shoot for the moon and try to get the right piece in the building, even if it's not expected to be likely that they come here. But the first one that everybody in the entire NBA is talking about right now, it's Kevin Durant. That has to be the first trade call. It's it's probably unfair to everybody else, and uh, for Denver's roster that you're building for uh, the the prospect of Michael Porter and Aaron Gordon and Bones Highland and Monte Morris and guys like that, that's what you call the supporting cast, and those guys would become a lot less necessary if the Nuggets, with their two-time MVP Nikola Jokic, and a recovering Jamal Murray, who put up 50, 42, and 50 in three straight bubble games, if they were to throw Kevin Durant in the middle of those two guys, that would be unbelievable. There would be no stopping Denver's offense, and there would be some more functionality to Denver's roster and to their team when Jokic is off the court, or if there are situations where Jokic has to take a little bit more of a secondary role Kevin Durant's a guy that you can give the ball to, and he can make a play for himself or others at any point on the floor. Jamal Murray would obviously pair with him really well, and then Durant and Jokic would pair with each other very well too. It's not a likely scenario. I don't want any Nuggets fan to get their hopes up here, because I don't think that Denver has a very great trade package to offer them anyway. But if they are enamored with Michael Porter Jr. or Bones Highland or guys like that, and they don't necessarily want picks, maybe you can throw together an offer that piques their interest that other teams aren't willing to make. And if that's the case, then Denver has to make that call. When that call is inevitably declined, you can move on to free agency and your other trade targets. The second call that I would make is to Gary Payton II and his representation. And the third call I would make is to Bruce Brown of the Brooklyn Nets. Both of those players in a very similar tier in terms of their level of impact and the type of player that they are, 
Denver would be able to offer both of those guys a starting role next to Jamal Murray in between him and Michael Porter, facilitated by Nikola Jokic. And though they aren't like perfect starters and they're better as kind of sixth man types that are hyper versatile players and helpful pieces on the wing, it would make sense for Denver to offer them a starting position. Both are likely outside the price range though. And though Denver could offer those starting spots, I'm not sure if that's going to make up the difference. I think the the monetary difference between the non-taxpayer and the taxpayer mid-level is about $24 million of guaranteed money. So Denver's probably not going to be able to offer that, and that's okay. They can, they can still win a title without those guys on their roster, but they are the first calls that Denver should make that is in the non-Kevin Durant category. Next up is the tier of sh- of guards and wings that sort of makes sense as trade targets to be the starting shooting guard. And there are three guys that I kind of outlined here, and there are more than this, but these are the top three in my mind that are within Denver's price range, hopefully. Kentavious Caldwell-Pope of the Washington Wizards, Josh Hart of the Portland Trailblazers, and Terrence Mann of the LA Clippers. All three of those guys offer their own benefits and detriments. KCP, more of your traditional 3 and D wing. Josh Hart, a more well-rounded, all-around player. And Terrence Mann, kind of a, a younger option who has some upside left to him and some growth left to him, but isn't necessarily as refined as those other couple of guys. I think that all three of those guys make sense. And whether you're offering Will Barton, Monte Morris, Zeke Naji, uh, Jeff Green, if that's what they're into. I do think that you have to make those calls because those teams, for their own individual reasons, might be interested in making a deal with Denver. For KCP, it's because he's an expiring contract that he's probably walking at the end of the season. For Josh Hart, he's a two, on a two-year contract, but Will Barton is a big friend of Damian Lillard. Perhaps that's a, a relationship that Damian Lillard prefers to Josh Hart. That's probably not the case, but it's a call Denver has to make anyway. And then there's Terrence Mann, who the Clippers, they really don't have a great backup point guard option on their roster right now. Terrence Mann kind of serves as that option, but he's more of a combo and, and even a shooting guard. Not necessarily a guy that you want to have the ball making decisions. And I do think that the Clippers, though they they could see the success of the Boston Celtics for sure, they could also see the detriments of what not having a traditional point guard looks like, where that team they turned over the ball consistently, could not get some good options against the Golden State Warriors defense, especially down the stretch of that playoff run, and not having an elite decision maker that could keep the turnovers down, there is some detriment to that. So maybe a Terrence Mann for Monte Morris swap sort of works for both teams. I don't know. I'm kind of spitballing here, but that's kind of the frame of mind that I think Nuggets fans are going to have to go after. The next, going back to kind of free agency targets, is the Martin twins, Caleb and Cody. Both of them would be super helpful, and while both kind of like Bruce Brown and Gary Payton are probably out of Denver's price range, Denver, they could offer them a ma- not a massive role, but at least 
a very significant role in an offense where, whereas in Miami, Caleb Martin kind of marginalized on the bench uh, when they went to Max Struess, when they had Kyle Lowry there, that's probably not going to change as Gabe Vincent continues to grow and they still have Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson. So there might be some interest from Caleb Martin and kind of expanding a little bit. And then Cody Martin, he was with Charlotte this past year. Very talented player and very versatile player. Both of them are. But with Cody, there is a lot of wing talent on the Hornets. And they just drafted a wing last year in James Booknight, who did not play at all. And I bet that there's going to be a mandate at some point to see if he's actually worth it. And who are you taking out of that rotation if you retain Miles Bridges, if you have Kelly Oubre still, if you have Terry Rozier and Lamella Ball in the backcourt? There's not necessarily a lot of open spots for them. And I do think that both guys might want some stability and might want a a solid contract. And Denver could offer them the taxpayer mid-level, but it's something. So we'll see if that's an option. Next, an old friend, Gary Harris, uh, would be very, very interested in a reunion with him. He's not the wing that I think Denver would be looking for, but he's a good point of attack defender that if Denver were to move, let's say, Monte Morris for a bigger wing, then Gary Harris kind of slides into that backup rotation as a guy that can play next to Bones Highland and really make his life easier on the defensive end. There's something to that. And though it might not be the perfect fit, there are a lot of reasons to bring back Gary. He's found his shot while in Orlando, done a really nice job of sort of rediscovering that offense. And he might not be the best defensive player that Denver can get, but he does have the ability to kind of scale up and scale down his role to what the Nuggets would need. And if they need to focus, have him focus on defense, then he absolutely could do that and do it well. So he's a guy that I would definitely have a conversation with. And then finally, two other guys, Nicholas Batum and Otto Porter. Not necessarily positional fits, but I do think that both of those guys would be just upgrades in terms of talent for Denver. I know that Jeff Green had a pretty good year this last year. Nicholas Batum is a better player. Otto Porter is a better player. Both of those guys have some positional flexibility as well, where they can kind of move up to the three. In Nicholas Batum's case, maybe even the two at times. And Nicholas Batum can play the five and and did a really nice job of kind of guarding one through five for the Clippers this past year. I don't think the Clippers let Batum get away because he's a very talented piece and they kind of have the deepest pockets in the NBA outside of the Warriors right now. But I do think that he's a guy that Denver should call. And Otto Porter, sort of the same thing, obviously with the Warriors, but their tax bill is about to approach, like like their overall salary bill is going to approach $400 million. And I'm not sure even they would prefer that to bring back Otto Porter when they have Moses Moody, when they have Jonathan Kaminga, guys like that that are hoping to step up. We'll see if they ultimately do that, but I do think that those are calls that should be made. To reiterate, and then kind of just to go a little bit more deep into this conversation, I'm not going to go into depth on some of these other names, but here are the following players that I think Denver can use their taxpayer mid-level on. And it would be a worthy contract for a for a player that Denver could use. Uh, I think it's it's close to twenty guys. 
Gary Payton II, Bruce Brown, Cody Martin, Caleb Barton, Gary Harris, Nicholas Batum, Otto Porter Jr., DeLon Wright of the Hawks, Victor Oladipo, Derek Jones Jr., Troy Brown Jr., shout out uh, Jake Coyne, Amir Coffey, another clipper. That's a, that's a good theme on my list here. Wes Matthews of the Milwaukee Bucks, Dante DiVincenzo, kind of undervalued on the Sacramento Kings right now, Kyle Anderson of the Memphis Grizzlies in a roster crunch, P.J. Tucker, though it seems like he's going for the non-taxpayer mid-level, to the Sixers, Tarian Prince, probably out with the Minnesota Timberwolves, Kevon Looney, could be another guy that's in the roster crunch for Golden State, Mitchell Robinson, probably going to get more money, but still offer it, and then Chris Boucher, probably going to get more money, but still offer it because he'd be helpful. All of those guys, this is the general range that Nuggets fans should be thinking about. But here's the thing. Denver can only offer their taxpayer mid-level to one player, or they, they can only sign that taxpayer mid-level to one guy. So their decisions, they're all going to have to sort of be tied together, whether it comes to the, the trades or to whether they bring back Austin Rivers and Davon Reed, or if they're planning on bringing back DeMarcus Cousins. Like if you bring back DeMarcus, probably shouldn't use your taxpayer MLE on a big. That doesn't make any sense. But if you're trading for a wing, if you're signing a or you're getting a traded player exception with a guard or something like that, then maybe you use your taxpayer MLE on one of the three bigs that I mentioned. There is something to it. I think that Denver needs to be willing to be taking chances and they have to be willing to spend. If they split up the taxpayer MLE on two separate players, I will I'll be very frustrated. Because there is no doubt in my mind that the Nuggets can get somebody because they can offer playing time on the wing. They can offer a chance at the title. They play this this player would play with Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. and probably make a ton of money because their shooting percentages would shoot up. And if that's the case, then Denver should absolutely be willing to give that to one player. It is their one major resource that is not restricted by anything. With the traded player exception, you probably have to attach picks to get a good player. Uh, with the re-signings and the minimum contracts, there's only so many options out there that are available to Denver. This taxpayer, Emily, is a big deal, and I do hope that the Nuggets spend it on somebody good and that they are willing and able to recruit somebody that would help Denver. Even if it was just Cody or Caleb Martin, that would be a helpful addition to Denver's roster. And we'll see what they do. Let's take a break. When we come back, going to go over some traded player exception candidates, as well as just talk about this plan and see if it's actually good enough to succeed. We'll be right back. Final segment, pickaxe and roll. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Let's wrap up this discussion by talking traded player exception candidates, as well as talking about the plan 
and sort of where where this is sort of manifested and what that looks like for the 22-23 season. But first, the TPE. It's kind of harder to quantify, I think, than the taxpayer MLE because you could just sign a free agent in that case. With the traded player exception, there are some things that they could do. They could technically sign and trade for somebody up to that $8.2 million mark, but it would hard cap them, which means that they'd have to cut salary elsewhere. It would be it would be really tough for them to make that work. So I very much doubt that that's an actual possibility. Uh, but the players you're probably looking for here, not necessarily starter caliber guys. You're looking at 10th or 11th man types, guys that can help you on the fringes, Maybe better depending on the draft pick compensation that you give a, a sixth, seventh, or eighth man. But what Denver should be looking for here is a guy, especially on the wing, that can just bolster their rotation and give them options. Because that's the most important thing heading into this next season. Denver has to have that optionality. They need to be able to rely on several people as opposed to just like think about Austin Rivers and think about what Denver's game five game plan looked like the minute Austin Rivers went down, I think, what, two, three, five minutes into the game? The Nuggets had no other defenders. They didn't have anybody that they could really trust to guard Steph Curry and Klay Thompson and Jordan Poole and guys like that. And the fact that Denver was in it at the end, it's just a massive accomplishment for the rest of the guys. They, they fought as hard as they could. But if you have another option in there, then that makes it a lot easier to really compete when a guy like that goes down. So here are the following players that kind of stand out as candidates to me. The first one's Cam Reddish of the New York Knicks. The Knicks are looking to cut salary right now, and Reddish makes just under $6 million. They traded a first-round pick for him, and he proceeded to average 14 minutes a night for Tom Thibodeau. And there was a lot of reporting that Thibodeau did not want reddish on the roster and that those guys for whatever reason they're like oil and water and whether that's the case for michael malone just as much as it is for tom thibodeau i I sort of doubt it tibbs is fighting for his life in new york right now and i have to imagine that reddish if he if he came to denver he'd probably be in that 10th or 11th man position so the expectations would be a little bit less different just be a little different so would Denver have to give up draft compensation for him? For sure. Could they muster up two second round picks and maybe have New York get that $6 million in cap relief as they try to go after Jalen Brunson? That is something they could try to do. Next is David Nawaba of the Houston Rockets. He just signed a contract with them, and that's all well and good, and they should be happy to have him. But, and, and actually, I... I there might be an injury-related thing with Nawaba that I, I missed. So if if there is one, I'm sorry for bringing him up. But if there's not, and if he's healthy, if he plans on being healthy for the year, then he would be a good, versatile defensive piece that Denver could add. He's competent on that end, really would help kind of tie the back end of the rotation together. Six foot three, six foot four, and just a competent defensive piece. He's making about $5 million. And I'm not sure what he does on Houston. Like they have Garrison Matthews as kind of a backup wing there. And maybe Matthews kind of fits into that a little bit better. But to me, it just seems like 
Nawaba doesn't really have a role as they try to sort of build a, a rebuilding rotation. So we'll see. Next is Javante Green of the Chicago Bulls. He filled in as a starter this year for much of the year for Lonzo Ball, DeMar DeRozan at times, for Patrick Williams at times, for Zach Levine at times. Very much a fifth starter type for them, but mostly kind of a bench guy and played a a comparable bench minutes. Kind of their Dante Jones is how I would describe him. He is a guy who's relatively cheap, probably not going to get him from the Chicago Bulls, but the Bulls did also just draft Dale and Terry, who they like out of Arizona, and probably would fill a similar role for a team like that. So I have to wonder if they're kind of getting saturated on the wing and could potentially relinquish one of their less needed guys. I also kind of think secretly that Lonzo Ball for Will Barton and Jeff Green isn't the worst deal in the world for both teams as the Bulls try to come up with another body that could be six foot eight and really guard against players, not maybe not Giannis specifically, but just have more size in general. But I do think that it is a capable option. Uh, going back to Javante Green, not necessarily a guy that would play every game, but would fill in where needed. That's really what you're looking for with this. Next is Chetty Osman of the Cleveland Cavaliers. And because the Cavs just drafted Ochayak Baji at the 14th overall pick, I'm going to guess he's going to be in the rotation. And if he's not, then he's they're going to want to open up a spot for him at some point. Chetty Osman, though he isn't the defender that Denver needs, he is a good connective tissue piece on the offensive end. And he's competent enough on the defensive end that if you throw him out there, he's not going to screw everything up. Uh, so he's a player, $8 million, kind of just inside that TPE. That might be a decent option, depending on what they do. Next is Kenyon Martin Jr., another Houston Rocket. Uh, he just basically requested a trade from the Rockets in their front office because it looks like he's not going to play. Kind of in a similar mold as David Nawaba, just sort of seems like he'd be a decent option to have in the background of what Denver's trying to do. Also, you have the the Kenyon Martin connection there, so maybe he's a player that Denver looks for. Decent shooter, uh, very athletic, would be a good cutter and rebounder for what the Nuggets need on the wing. And if he develops as a defender, then that would be a good, solid option to have in your back pocket. Next, Kenrich Williams, another long-time option that the Nuggets have been looking at that have, has been kind of tied to the Nuggets and what they need. I, I got to be honest, I can't do another deal with OKC. There is just too much draft capital that is going their direction, and Sam Presti is going to squeeze the Nuggets out of everything they're worth at this point. So I sort of doubt that Denver goes that direction, but he is a candidate. He's a, a good fitting piece for what Denver would be hoping for, a 10th man of sorts. For Concorkmas, and I guess Matisse Thybul. Are both guys like Tybalt's definitely out of the price range, I think, of the kinds of players like this. There is some like dissension among Nuggets Twitter on how good Matisse Tybalt is. My personal opinion on it is that Tybalt is a very undervalued asset right now. He is a guy who made two all defensive teams in his first three years of his career. Is he the most impactful piece on the court? for the Sixers defensively. No, that goes to Joel Embiid, but mostly because Joel Embiid is a center. 
not because Joel Embiid is a better individual defender than a guy like Tybal. Does Tybal have some defensive weaknesses compared to what he does in passing lanes and kind of his chase down blocks? Yeah, he's not the best on ball defender, but he's a demon off ball. And he's somebody that would really help Denver up their turnover rate uh, for the uh, for the defensive side of the ball. Denver is a very conservative team. They need players that can play a little bit less conservatively. Tybal feels like a guy that would make some sense there. But I, I initially said this with Furkan Korkmaz. The Sixers are looking to cut payroll, and both of those guys make about four to five million. Denver couldn't uh, couldn't get both of them, but they could get one. Maybe they throw a draft pick back the Sixers' way, and then the Sixers get PJ Tucker with the non-taxpayer MLE, and the Nuggets get a wing out of it, and they give the Sixers a draft pick in the process. That sort of feels like a very logical trade for both sides. And then finally, Justin Holiday traded to the Sacramento Kings in the DeMontis Sabonis deal. I don't know what he does for the Kings. It does sort of feel like if they're going to be a win-now team, then he'd be on the roster, potentially even starting. But they have Davion Mitchell. They have De'Aaron Fox. Will they use Justin Holiday? Probably. Like He'd probably be a very helpful piece for them, but he's also kind of underqualified to play the role that they'd want him to play. In Denver, he'd be an eighth or ninth man, which is the exact role you would want a Justin Holiday to play. So maybe there's something there, though I doubt it. He's just a good name within the range of the TPE. Now let's wrap up this conversation with talking about the plan, talking about what the Nuggets are trying to do this offseason, whether it actually makes sense, because there is some arguments against it. When they drafted Christian Brown and Peyton Watson, uh, Brown was an understanding pick. Definitely not the guy. Uh, he Not definitely. He is not the player that I would have committed to. I would have drafted Marjan Bochamp. I would have drafted Wendell Moore. And kind of like with last year, when, when I said it, I thought that Denver should draft Jaden Springer or Miles McBride or uh, Ayo DeSumo, like I'm going to keep sticking to that. And, and so people know whether I'm right or wrong and they can hold me to it. I thought that Denver should have gotten a different wing, but they still got a 3 and D wing. That's fine. When they drafted Peyton Watson, that was a very weird pick. It always felt to me like the 30th pick should have been something that Denver was shopping, and they probably were, but they probably couldn't get the... Actually, I know that they were. Let me just rephrase that. They were trying to trade the pick. But it didn't manifest, and they ultimately ended up with Peyton Watson, who is a long-term project. Not necessarily somebody that I would assume is in Denver's plans for the next two years, let alone one. With that in mind, Denver doesn't have that asset to help their roster and their chances of winning for the next year or two. So they're going to be operating from a disadvantage a little bit. And while I do think that the plan still is to flip Will Barton and some minor stuff for the next starting shooting guard. They have less flexibility to do that now. So players like Malcolm Brogdon, DeJounte Murray, uh, some higher cat, like even maybe Josh Hart, probably off the table for Denver, probably not something that the Nuggets can really do. So they're going to have to find other more creative options, some of which I just talked about, some of which may still be unavailable to Denver, depending on what the other team wants. So, They're going to have to figure it out. 
They're going to try to get that starting shooting guard. They're going to try to sign a rotation caliber bench player with the tax MLE. They're going to try to add a fringe rotation player with the traded player exception. And then I think they're going to add their own free agents, re-signing their own free agents as needed, whether it's Austin Rivers, whether it's Davon Reed, whether it's Vlaco Chanchar, whether it's Boogie Cousins. I don't think that Marcus Howard is back. I don't think that Bryn Forbes is back. And I don't think that Faku Campazzo is back. But the other four guys, I think, all have their own varying chances of returning. So, that's the plan. Depending on who Denver adds, depending on what they do, it's most likely going to look like this, where Denver sort of exchanges out their shooting guard starter. They keep Monte and Bones and pair them in the backup backcourt. They try to solidify backup center. They add a couple decent wings, and then they go for it. Is that plan good enough? Is that a championship caliber team? The truth is we don't know. Denver hasn't put together that lineup in a while. We haven't seen what it looks like with Murray, Porter, Gordon, Jokic on the floor at the same time. Nuggets fans like to think that that's a good thing, that when they do come back, it's going to look amazing. It's going to look awesome. There's a possibility, though, that Denver caught lightning in a bottle back then, and that it might not look the same this time around. I don't think that's true, and I think they're going to look freaking great, especially on the offensive end. But I do want to allow for the possibility that they might underperform. Monte Morris, he remains Jamal Murray insurance, at least for the regular season. We'll see what they do at the deadline. We'll see if they even trade him this offseason, because like I talked about, Barton as a matching salary might not be enough. Denver is going to try to add length and athleticism to help improve their defense. That's been the plan. And so far, it's working with Christian Brown, Peyton Watson, Ismael Kamigate. But I do think that because some of those pieces are longer term, Denver's not going to be able to reap the rewards of that for a little bit. So we're going to see what they do June 30th, July 1. That's where most of this is going to start manifesting. I'm not sure what's going to happen at backup center either, because if I were Denver, I wouldn't use that. I wouldn't use the taxpayer MLE to try to fill that backup center role. That's the one piece where you can add a decent rotation player on the wing. So if you use it on a big, then you kind of lose that flexibility. And you can't sign and trade anybody without being hard capped. So Denver is definitely, they're going over that threshold if they try to do something like that. And that's probably not tenable. It's actually not legal. But something is going to happen at backup center, whether it's, re- whether it's bringing back Boogie Cousins, whether it's finding somebody else, maybe a minimum level guy. Uh, maybe they make a trade. I posited Jeff Green for a backup center. I think the player that I'd target is Tony Bradley of the Chicago Bulls. Maybe it's Tony Bradley and Javante Green, and you move Jeff Green there as well as, let's say, a second round pick. Maybe that's enough for the Bulls. Maybe they feel pretty good about that. Maybe they don't, but it's a decent option for them in their rotation. There are other guys that could also be traded for Jeff Green to fill that backup center role for Denver, but it's not the most pressing matter. The most pressing matter is to find as many guys as you can get that can help out Nikola Jokic on the perimeter defense. Denver's got the offense down. Jamal Murray. Michael Porter, Nikola Jokic, Bones Highland long-term, 
Aaron Gordon should be helpful on the offensive end. And it's just about adding pieces after that. Pieces to the puzzle. If everybody buys into the system, and if everybody's playing for each other, I don't see why that team can't be at least a, a, a contender for the playoffs, and not, not the playoffs, but for the NBA Finals next year and a championship. Will they actually do it? Probably not, because betting on it would be, I'm not, not betting on it, but saying it's, it's more likely than not would be dumb. What I do think, though, is that Denver puts themselves into a really good position that where Nikola Jokic, being the talented player that he is, Jamal Murray showing up in the biggest moments, Michael Porter proving his haters wrong, getting healthy out there on the court and just shooting 50% from three in a playoff run. There's something to that. It would be very, very helpful if Denver just got to the playoffs healthy. And then you have a, vers- a just a large number of wing-talented players that can help out on the defensive end and switch and do everything that you need. If you get to that point, anything is possible. Because I believe in Nikola Jokic. I believe in Jamal Murray, and I believe in Michael Porter, if and when healthy. As long as you have those three, the sky is truly the limit. That'll do it for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by Superbook Sports. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Appreciate all the love and support, as always. I will be back tomorrow. The press conference for the draft picks is going to happen on Monday afternoon. And I will be discussing that on the podcast as well as potentially something else. Uh, Maybe it's bringing on a guest. Could be very interesting. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow.